Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you and wonderful to have you with us for worship this morning at WPC. In the Presbyterian Church, we like to joke and, and kid on ourselves that we're the frozen chosen, but I, I think today we, we're becoming at least a little defrosted. <laughs> today we continue our sermon uh, series, our summer series, Grown Up Vacation Bible School, very appropriate as we're uh, talking about our vacation Bible school here. Uh, and during this series, uh, we're looking into familiar childhood stories of the Bible and together seek to find a grown-up understanding of these pivotal stories of our faith. Today, we explore probably the biggest moment in the entire Old Testament, the one the rest of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, looks to as its watershed moment, the story of God delivering Israel from Egypt by the leadership of Moses. In our first reading, Moses encounters God in the burning bush out in the wilderness, In this encounter, God says that God has heard the cries of Israel and seeks to deliver them from Pharaoh, to lead them from Egypt to Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that was promised to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here we see God take the side of the oppressed, the marginalized, the downtrodden, an action of God that continues throughout Scripture, particularly in the ministry of Christ. We go now to Exodus 14 to hear the triumphant story of Moses parting the sea, of Israel walking on dry ground, and the Egyptians drowning in the crashing waters after. Before we read this foundational story, I think it's important for us to get in the right mindset. For too long, I believe, us preacher types have tried to rationalize this phenomenal otherworldly story. We talk about how instead of the Red Sea, it may have been the Sea of Reeds, a shallow lake between the Nile Delta and the Sinai Peninsula, one that likely could dry up in places seasonally. While this is certainly possible, and scholars have made some good arguments here, I think this kind of rationalizing takes away the true point of the story, of God's triumph over Pharaoh and the deliverance of God's people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. I invite you to take out your pew Bibles now and and turn with me to the 14th chapter of Exodus. And as we do so, I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together, beginning with the first verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall camp opposite it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has closed in on them. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed towards the people. And they said, what have we done? Letting Israel leave our service. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And he pursued the Israelites, who were going out boldly. 
The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army. They overtook them, camped by the sea, by Pihiroth, in front of Baal Zephon. Let's stop here first. There are two scenes in this short section. The first scene is a conversation between the Lord and Moses, instructing him where to lead the Israelites. But further, that God will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue the Israelites, that he will come after the Israelites. The next scene shows this played out as Pharaoh's mind changes when God hardens Pharaoh's heart and he decides to go after the recently freed Israelites. The logical question here, of course, is why? The Israelites are free, they're off to the promised land, and at first glance it seems that Pharaoh has moved on as well. But God hardens Pharaoh's heart, allowing Pharaoh's lingering anger to react in vengeance. God actually provides the answer to this question. God hardens Pharaoh's heart that God might triumph over Pharaoh and his army, and that all of Egypt will know that God is Lord of all. Let's pick up the story in verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back. And there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his chariot drivers. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. We'll stop here. This section has three brief scenes unfolding. In the first, the Israelites express their fear and their frustration to Moses as Pharaoh's army closes in. And Moses reassures them of God's presence and coming deliverance, saying the Lord will fight for you and you only have to keep still. The next scene is God scolding Moses, and he scolds Moses as a proxy for Israel, scolding them for not trusting in God's power and deliverance. God then instructs Moses to lift his staff and stretch it over the sea that it may be divided so the Israelites could cross to the other side. 
Again, we see God say that the hearts of the Egyptians will be hardened. They'll be hardened so they'll come after Israel. And again, we see why. So God will have glory over Pharaoh, his army, and all will know that God is Lord of all. The final scene describes God's continued and all-encompassing presence with Israel through the angel of God and the pillar of cloud providing light, guidance, and protection. Let's finish the story now, starting at verse 21, where the talking stops and the action really begins. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them. All of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground, through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we return now to the scene with Moses, hand on staff, stretching it out over the sea. I imagine most of you are thinking of the Charlton Heston and old Ten Commandments film as the sea divides and the dry land appears. And for those of you who had this image, I'm guessing you also had the thought that I'm uh, way too young to actually know that film. (laughs) To which I say, hey y'all, Netflix has old movies too. (laughs) So the Israelites cross with a wall of sea on their left and on their right. The Egyptians come after them, but as they do, they see the presence of God and the pillars of fire and cloud, and they're terrified. They try to retreat, but it's too late. God instructs Moses to stretch his hand out again, and the waters return, swallowing up all of Pharaoh's army. The story ends with a two-verse summary that the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. That Hebrew word for saved that's used here is Yeshua salvation, from which we get the name Joshua, or better yet, Jesus. Israel witnesses God's victory over the Egyptians from the seashore, and they do two things. One, they feared the Lord and believed in his servant, Moses. So, 
One, they feared the Lord, and two, they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. In the beginning of the story, the Israelites fear Pharaoh. It says this very clearly. The Israelites fear Pharaoh as his army pursues them. But at the end, after God's triumphant victory, they fear the Lord. A word, fear, that can also mean awe or reverence. But it's not just fear. It's fear coupled with belief. The Hebrew word for belief used here is aman, which is a word for trust, for belief. It's actually the the Hebrew word, uh, word and root from which we get the word amen. God is victorious here over Pharaoh in Egypt. God heard the cries of the enslaved, oppressed Israelites and delivered them from their oppressors. This is the story of a God who sides with the oppressed, the marginalized, a God who takes the side of the suffering in this world. This is the story of a God who seeks to subvert power and flip it on its head. These are timeless truths about God, truths echoed through the prophets, through Mary's Magnificat, praising the God who lifts up the lowly and casts down the mighty. And it's surely echoed through God's own Son, Jesus, Yeshua, salvation, who sought out the lost, fed the hungry, and spoke up for the marginalized. Friends, this is the timeless truth about our God first revealed in the Exodus, that we trust in a God who sides, who identifies with the oppressed, hears their cries, and seeks to bring them Yeshua, deliverance. And friends, we better believe that God hears the cry of the oppressed in our world today. God hears the cries of those who are trapped in generational poverty, Recently, God hears the cry of the migrant children who are separated from their families. God hears the cry of those consumed by addiction. Hears the cry of those in, uh, facing abuse and violence. All of these folks and so many more, we trust that God hears their cries and seeks to deliver them, to bring them salvation from their oppression. But as the story of Israel continues, we learn very quickly that it is not enough simply to trust that God has heard their cries and God has taken the side of the oppressed. As people of God, we are also to take the side of the oppressed, hearing their cries, seeking to bring deliverance as well. After Israel reaches the land of Canaan, one of the first ethical requirements given by God, and certainly one of the most repeated throughout the Old Testament, is the ethical imperative to take care, to take special care of the stranger, of the alien. Uh, Words basically that in in the Bible that mean uh, refugee or immigrant. These were, there were special legal protections also given for orphans and widows, the most vulnerable persons in society in that day. For the people of God, they were also to hear the cries of the oppressed and seek to bring them deliverance. Jesus will echo this when he says the often quoted line from Matthew 25. As you have done to the least of these, so you have also done to me. 
This past week, our denomination had its general assembly, in which, uh, which is kind of the highest gathering of our denomination. Folks from, from every presbytery, representing all of our congregations, got together and sought uh, where Christ, where, where God's Spirit is leading this church. They made a lot of decisions, or we made a lot of decisions as a denomination that, that week. But uh, one of the most interesting to me is, is an overall commitment to become what they say, or what, what we say, is to become and grow into being a Matthew 25 church. A church that seeks to live into this ethical imperative. This, this demand of God to take care of those who are, who are uh, challenged, who are oppressed, who are marginalized. To hear their cries and to speak up and speak out. Friends, this awesome story of Moses parting the sea and God's defeat of Pharaoh is a story that defies rationalization. To try to rationalize it, to try to make sense of it, misses the greater point of God hearing the cries of God's own people and bringing them deliverance, Yeshua. As children of God, we who have been delivered from sin and brokenness, may we also hear the cries of the marginalized, of the hurting, of the oppressed in our world, and work together to bring deliverance and peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.